0: listening to all that matters. I'm Rhea Lacani
1: and I'm Chris Cheng and Phillips.
0: We often seem to perceive art and medicine as being at odds with each other. The practice of medicine is a science, and art is, well, art. But if we take a step back in time, say to ancient Greece, we might change our minds. Chris, have you ever read Plato?
1: Uh, I should be more embarrassed to admit that I have not, but no, I have never read Plato.
0: Yeah, he's he's not for everybody but let me just give you a few spark notes. In one of Plato's works, Socrates refers to the practice of medicine as an art, but he's using the word art in a really specific way. It's a seasoned skill, and it's directed towards some sort of good for the person who the artist is focused on. So, medicine is an art for two reasons. First, it really is a skill. Not just anyone can do it, It takes a person years of training and practice before we can trust doctors to perform surgery on us. And second, the aim of medicine is to make us healthy and to do no harm. Every doctor has to swear a Hippocratic oath, named, by the way, after another ancient Greek, Hippocrates. And with that oath, they promise to only use the skills of medicine for good. But if medicine is an art, Where does that leave art art? (laughs) Well,
1: maybe we can think about um, regular art in a similar way. It's not just fluff, it's a skill too, and one that people take a lifetime to hone. And as for being directed towards some kind of good, well, uh, let's let this week's stories speak to that point themselves. Each week on All That Matters, we take small bites out of a big question, and this week we're talking about art and medicine. How do artists, and not just physicians, influence how we heal each other? We have two stories for you today, both looking at performance artists in the healthcare system, but they come from different sides of a divide. One takes the stage, so to speak, and the other works behind the scenes.
0: We will start with a story about a big personality and a really big heart. Demi Dupree, a 25-year-old former nursing student who wants to make a difference in the recovery of patients at the Royal Alex Hospital by using clowning as a tool for therapy, a practice that hasn't been employed by the hospital in 30 years. I got to visit her at a home in Edmonton to chat about her role at the Royal Alex.
2: Just gonna tune it up here. Okay, so I'll play this uh, song. <laughs> I just make the mouse as, as I go, so. I have some egg shakers in my bag, and so I'll get the patients to play the shakers along with me, and then some of them will dance, and then some of them will sing, and it's always really fun. And then we'll do a big finish up. <laughs> and we'll all clap and cheer. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm Demi. I'm 25 years old, and I do clown at the hospital.
0: Oh, cool! Which yeah. hospital?
2: Uh, the Royal Albert.
0: What made you decide to to do that?
2: Well, I was in nursing for a bit, okay. and before that, I'd done a degree in drama and done a lot of clown in that. Okay. And so, when I was doing a placement in the hospital, I sort of thought that clown would be a real, like a clown would be a really good person to have in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So. I decide, I went to a laughter therapy training program and uh, it was just like a weekend workshop and I met a woman who's the rec therapist at the Royal Alex and so I talked to her about it, about having a clown in the hospital and we started making that happen. Like 30 years ago, there was a program yeah. there but the clowns that were doing that, from what I've heard, weren't trained or really trained that well so um, th- I, the program ended, and then this is the first time in like mm-hmm. thirty years i have had someone doing it again at that. Like,
0: what's some of the pro- the training that you have to go through?
2: To... Um, so I've done clown courses with uh, Jan Henderson and Mike Kennard at the university. Okay. And then I've done other workshops, just going to different theater festivals mm-hmm. and clown festivals, and so that's sort of the training that I did in the theater side the clown side, okay. and then. I also did a year of the after-degree nursing program, mm-hmm. so I had lots of experience in the hospital before doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of really good to combine the two so you know all the policies of the hospital and all the important things to know mm-hmm. and just knowing how to work with patients. So it's yeah. kind of cool to have both sides of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So who are some of your patients? Are they mostly children or is it a mix of adults and children?
2: Uh, it's mostly adults and uh, older adults. Oh, so, yeah, it's a geriatric and post-stroke unit that I'm working on right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, so a lot of them are, I would say, over 50 or so.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me about your typical day. Like, how does that work?
2: Um. So I go there. I always ride the bus in costumes, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Um, and then I just check in at the front desk with mm-hmm. the unit, and I'll see if there's anyone in particular I should or shouldn't visit. And usually, mm-hmm. usually I, I go in every room, and just say hi to the patient. So I'll go into the rooms and just sort of see who wants a visit because sometimes yeah. people don't want visits. Sometimes people are visiting family or a lot of times they're just sleeping. So don't wake anyone up. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just go in and depending on the patient, what uh, we do together is always different. Mm-hmm. I have a few tools that I bring with me. So I have my ukulele. So I've learned a few songs on that. Uh-huh. And so I'll play that and that's always probably the most popular thing that and drawing portraits i started drawing portraits of the patients when i go there and they really enjoy that when i go in there i'm doing the clown thing so i'm razzle so i'm this character so the character razzle always thinks that they're brilliant pieces Uh of work and showcases them like that and it's almost like it's a studio art piece and then i give it to them to hang up and they're pictures of them always capturing their smile because it's so because they always they always start smiling when you do that and it's so beautiful because a lot of time people won't be smiling in the hostel but then you go there and start joking with them and they're like (laughs) (laughs)
0: what's what's the difference between you and your character
2: um so my character is very flowy and really likes the water and dinosaurs uh, <laughs> so there's a, this thing called a clown heart um mm-hmm. and so you put all these words inside your clown heart which are like love and innocence and happiness and all the things that are important and meaningful to you and so you create this heart and you just carry that with you so mm. so I have this for my clown heart okay
0: so that's a, tattoo a dinosaur tattoo okay. yeah
2: um and so kind of awkward but in a very real way yeah. so <laughs> the more that i go in a row and visit people the more i discover about my character mm. my character's left-handed which is not i'm right-handed uh so whenever i do my portraits it's with my left hand yeah. or when i write my name it's a little bit backwards what are
0: the challenges being i guess like clowning for adults
2: um i think the biggest challenge is People being very intellectual with you when you're going there. It's because you want to take them into this world that's playful and sometimes imaginary, and a lot of the time they're just so in a place that's so thinking and just like this is what's going on and happening mm-hmm. right now, and are aren't ready to play, or you have to sort of work towards the play, which is because instead of it being um, oh this is like what my illness is and this is what's going on and my day was I had jello for breakfast you want to sort of take them away and I don't know bring them into a song or something so one time I visited a patient and she had a lot of family with her and I just uh, started playing my ukulele and it's they just started dancing and pretending like it was this Hawaiian luau. So the challenge is just getting away from what's real and right there, and going into a more imaginative, playful place.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's incredible because I think when we get so caught up with real life; it's hard to break away from that. Yeah. So is that with with clowning? Do you feel like it enables people to do that?
2: I think so. I think especially so. I've been there for six months now, and so with the staff, it's been really cool to see this transformation because they are there all the time whereas the patients are always changing and so when I first came there the staff were always like wonderfully friendly and pleasant yeah. and supportive but now when I go there they'll also be really playful with me so they'll start joking one day I went in there and one of the health was like oh like there's something wrong with your nose I think I think we're gonna have to remove it and so we just had this whole game of them gonna do surgery on my nose (laughs) (laughs) and it was just so much fun and it was just really cool to see them less serious Mm -hmm. and having fun
0: um so I have to ask there are a lot of people out there who are they have a phobia for clowns Mm -hmm. and have you ever experienced that or had anybody
2: oh yeah for sure I've had lots of people who don't like clowns Um, I've done school trips and stuff as well so worked with kids and When I go there, someone might tell me beforehand, like, "Oh, like some of these kids are scared of clowns," and it's just in the way that you approach people. So if someone looks like they don't want you to come near them or looks scared, you just stay away, and you can sort of play with that in a way, like if just like, "Okay, I'll stay over here. I'm scared of you too." (laughs) Yeah. And um, but I found that usually they'll end up coming up to me eventually and just slowly approach me or I'll have kids tell me after I'm scared of clowns but I'm not scared of you like you're okay (laughs) so that's always really nice and I think it's just that a lot of the time if you're not trained you'll just run up to people and be in their face but if you know how to approach people and know when to read someone and know that know when you're not wanted and when to walk away Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for the style clown that I do it's very much the makeup is to help show your eyes so people can read your eyes and help show your face and it's not a mask it's to take away a mask really because it's to show as much as you can to everyone around and be vulnerable
0: how can how can art help science and medicine in your opinion well I think that it can
2: make it so it's so that science is less rigorous and art can be more um, helpful or helpful and not just abstract, and they can work together to just develop a new art science world where there's so many more possibilities. I think that it would be great if well, for healthcare uh, to have more art in it because I think that having the creative ways that art has and also the, like, social skills and the social ability of art. I think having that mixed with the very practical healthcare can just sort of combine into a very welcoming and more connected environment between workers and patients.
0: Why do you think there's been such a big gap between, like, 30 years... You know there hasn't been any clown therapy to now until you've started. Why is that?
2: I think because it's very hard thing to do with paperwork and just sort of uh, showing that the skills that you have won't be disruptive, that they'll be helpful and that um, and just getting through the because it's something different and I think that a lot of times it's hard to change ideas of things and I think it's finding the right people who are interested in trying something new, and um, I don't. Know, I hope that it becomes more and expands. But I think it's just a challenge to get through all the paperwork and finding, or not finding, but showing how clowns and hospitals can be useful. It's really neat because a lot of the times a doctor will come up to me or a nurse and be like, "Oh, like that patient never talks, or like that patient never smiles," and but they were totally friendly with you. I think it also comes because I don't have any needles to poke or anything.
0: Thanks to Demi Dupree for talking to us. Listening to All That Matters from CGSR. I'm Ria Lakhani.
1: And I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. Each week on All That Matters, we take small bites out of a big question. Today, how do artists influence medicine? How do they play into how we heal each other? Well, we heard from someone on the front lines. Let's take a look behind the scenes now. As a patient, you're never going to encounter the person in our next story. That's because this artist doesn't work with patients, he works with doctors. Andrew Ritchie is an actor by trade. But his art has led him now and again away from the stage and into the medical clinic. Our reporter Kay Rollins has the story.
3: So I want to start this story off with a clip from an episode of Seinfeld called The Burning, featuring Kramer, a slapdash eccentric played by Michael Richards. It's one of those really iconic episodes from this series. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll probably recognize it.
0: And are you experiencing any discomfort? Just a little burning during urination. Okay. Any other pain? The haunting memories of lost love.
3: Kramer is sitting in a medical exam room surrounded by doctors in white coats. May
0: I?
4: Lights?
3: The lights are dimmed, and Kramer pulls out a cigarette. Then, leaning back pensively on the exam table and dramatically furrowing his brow... Our eyes
1: met across the crowded hat store. I, a customer, she a coquettish haberdasher? <laughs> I pursued, and she withdrew, and she pursued, and I withdrew. And, and so we danced. And I burned for her.
2: Much like the burning during urination that I would experience soon
3: afterwards. In this episode, Creamer has a job as a standardized patient. He acts out scenarios for medical students and pretends to have various medical conditions. The object is, in theory, to train medical students in diagnostics and bedside manner. So can you guess what illness Kramer is supposed to have? Did he give you enough hints? Why don't you think about it for a while, and we'll get back to that later. Regardless though, Kramer's performance is pretty silly. And it got me thinking, what is it really like to be a standardized patient? I talked to local actor Andrew Ritchie to find out.
4: I'm Andrew Ritchie. I am uh, an actor, director, improviser in Edmonton.
3: Andrew also works as a standardized patient in town now and then. So I asked him, is it anything like what we see in Seinfeld?
4: No, that's definitely a theatricalized version of it.
3: <laughs> what is a standardized patient?
4: Yeah, uh, Without giving too much away, a standardized patient is basically like a fake patient uh, for medical students to practice with, uh, for like exams or tests. So they create real life, they create like situations they would run into on the job and how to deal with people.
3: So basically you're, you're pretending to have something.
4: Yeah, exactly. I'm pretending to have some sort of, uh, some sort of medical condition of some form. I would get a description of a character of a person with like their background, all the information about them, their medical history and information like that. And then I would have to memorize it all. And it'd be a certain situation I'd be coming into. So I would know where I'm going, like, and what's happened before and why I'm coming to see this person. And, um, yeah. And then I would repeat it over and over again throughout the day.
3: So when Andrew goes to work, he's basically given a character sketch and a very specific scenario that he performs for different students. But many of the people Andrew works with are med students writing exams, and, and because of this, he can't reveal any of the specifics of the patient profiles that he acts out because that would be giving away the answers. But he gave me an overview. Like, how might a session go? You said that you you get a character sketch, you have to, you know be this patient for a while and and pretend to have something that you, you don't or pretend to be in a situation that you're not in, um, are you allowed to, like, take on that character and, and improvise as you go?
4: Uh, you do want to try to become the character as realistic as possible. Some are quite emotionally demanding depending on the situation, but the script is usually quite um, uh, like, full of detail. So, um, any kind of improv you would practice on the the professor ahead of time on a, like a dry run and then you would try to like create the exact same performance every time so every student is getting the same exam so they want it standardized among all the patients because I wouldn't be the only one playing the same uh, character there might be like 10 of us playing the exact same person so they want all of us to be playing it exactly the same
3: so how does that work though like the students must ask you different kinds of questions and you have to Answer. I mean, every situation will be a little bit different.
4: Uh, yeah, people ask different information, and you want to make sure not to give anything away. If they don't ask the right questions, you're not supposed to uh, prompt them in that way. You have to let the student uh, make their own mistakes and, like, oh, like, <laughs> I might have failed that one. <laughs> like, oh, well, <laughs> like, it's not my responsibility to make sure they pass.
3: Uh, have you ever had that experience of like knowing that somebody did something wrong?
4: Yes, people have varying uh, uh, angles to attack a situation. People ask all sorts of different questions at different points, different types of bedside manner that people have, for sure. So, huge variability.
3: Have you ever had an experience of, like, messing up your character in on the job? I remember one time
4: they were just, like, asking questions about, um, like, hobbies. And I mentioned... I was, I guess, a little, like, we could say anything we wanted, and I said, I, I I walked my dog, and they started asking me questions about dogs, and I quickly screwed up, because I know nothing about dogs, and I, they were like, what kind of dog, and I was like, I, uh, it doesn't matter, really, or something, I didn't know what kind of dog I had, <laughs> couldn't think of one.
3: And this feels like a really, like, technical thing, but does it, does it ever feel artistic to you, you know, how how would it compare to other kinds of acting gigs that you've done?
4: I don't think it, I don't find it very artistic. Actually, I find it um, because you can't um, you're not necessarily identifying with the character and exploring it. Like let us say I'm playing Hamlet, I might like try to find how I identify with that that Hamlet and how would I say this monologue and how would I go about making the decisions that Hamlet makes and I would really make it my own in that particular production that I was in but in this it's really i think fitting yourself within that box instead of uh, exploring all the options of what that could be
3: right it's it's following directions rather than kind of taking the lead
4: yeah totally
3: i see some connections between sort of having a, a roaming gig where you're interacting with all sorts of different people and not knowing who you're about to interact with roving gigs by the way are where actors are hired at events that want to immerse their clients in a certain theme or world they aren't on stage. Instead, the actors walk around with all of the other attendees and interact with them, enhancing the experience and believability of the imaginary world. Is it, is it anything like that at all? I find it
4: quite different, too, actually, I think. Because roving gig is, I'm the character, but there's a lot of improv in that. You're constantly improvising because people love to try to make you break character. And I feel like when I'm roving, I'm always discovering new things and finding new jokes because some days this joke will work or that joke will work. I find roving very. I find roving very challenging in a in a very different way than standardized patient uh, gigs. Standardized patient gigs, I would say, are a little more sometimes more of an endurance art piece because <laughs> uh, you have to do it over and over again and try to remain the exact same.
3: Are you allowed to speak with or interact with? clients out of character at all or is that completely off limits
4: it's pretty much off limits i it depends on the situation for final exams they're very strict like you don't talk or see the student outside of that room um, but i've done also ones that are training sessions and in those sometimes actually you do the situation and then you leave the room and then you provide feedback for the uh, student afterwards but that would be more of like a test like a practice exam
3: mm-hmm and are you supposed to be in character when you're giving that feedback?
4: No, I give the feedback as the actor. Okay. So it's really funny to see them, the transformation, because, uh, yeah, because I'll be like someone and then I'll, they'll come back and I'll be like energetic, <laughs> wacky Andrew, which is very different than my character <laughs> usually.
3: Have you had anybody like respond to that in a visible way to kind of have this veil broken for themselves? Yeah, like,
4: people often laugh a lot and they're like, you're really different. <laughs>
3: Why do so many actors get into this? For the record, about 50% of the people working in standardized patients are trained actors. The other half is mostly made up of people studying or working in a medical field.
4: Um, I think they pursue us. They're looking for people that are interested in playing a part. Like, it is a form of acting, I would say. And it's like, I think a lot of actors do it in between other jobs. Like, I don't think... I don't think it's anyone's like dream job or role, but I think it's like a it's consistent uh, work, which is hard to get as an actor.
3: Mm. Yeah. But they're just looking for people who can keep a character yeah, going. Yeah, keep a
4: character going. Yeah, for sure.
3: Okay. So it's not the playful, dramatic job that we see in Seinfeld, but it is a really important aspect of medical training and the skills that actors bring to it, like believably portraying a character and a situation that isn't their own and maintaining their character through thick and thin is crucial to giving medical students a chance to gain clinical experience and get their legs under them before they embark on the real thing. A standardized patient like Kramer probably wouldn't be very helpful in training med students. Could you guess what Kramer has? Much like the
1: burning during urination that I would experience soon afterwards.
3: Gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. Gonorrhea, that burning sensation of love. I don't know about you, but I think I'll stick to doctors trained by standardized patients like Andrew and his colleagues.
1: Thanks to Andrew Ritchie for talking to us for that piece, and to our reporter Kay Rollins. If you'd like to learn more about standardized patients, or are maybe thinking about becoming one yourself, go to hserc.ualberta.ca and click on the standardized patient program. So what did you learn from your story?
0: What did I learn? One thing that was really, really cool about um, talking to Demi Dupree was just how animated she was. Just, you just look at her and you're like, yeah, like that makes absolute sense about how um, she, you know, she uses clown therapy. She used to wear, she was wearing a lot of colorful clothing and bright lipstick and her voice, like the voices that she put on when she was talking, she was, yeah, she was a lot of fun to talk to. And it's great because she talks about how nursing was something that she wanted to do but it really didn't fit her personality and it was great how she like used clown therapy to kind of integrate art and science in such a unique way.
1: I thought it was interesting that one thing she said was that she hoped that art could make science less rigorous Mm -hmm. which I, I sort of took pause at and thought like shouldn't Shouldn't that isn't that what science should be? And you know, medicine is like the ultimate evidence-based science because you have to deal with like the evidence of what's in front of definitely. you. Like that's the whole thinking behind Western medicine. Anyway, Um yeah, I thought it was interesting that that she said that. Like, hopefully, uh, medicine can learn from art mm-hmm. to be a little less evidence focused. I, I thought she was kind of heading towards.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That that's definitely very interesting. But I think. I don't think that would be possible because, you know, science is science, but I think she managed to find a really good balance, and I know I've spoken to a lot of healthcare workers and I've got a lot of friends who are healthcare workers, and um, they tend to bring a lot of humor into their work, and sometimes it's not always easy, but I think it just helps them deal with, because they deal with a lot of illness, they deal with a lot of, um, um, you know, like death and all of that. But for them to find that balance and for them to you know kind of give them strength they use a lot of humour and I think she found the perfect tool to actually incorporate that Hmm. so yeah
1: All right.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for this week and All That Matters. Thanks to our reporter, Kay Rollins, for her work on this week's show. Let us know what you thought. You can email us at allthatmatters@cgsr.com. at cgsr.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find our show online at allthatmatterscgsr.wordpress.com.
1: All That Matters is a production of CJSR, 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Our theme music is by Dokashi Teru. Additional music by ARCA. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips.
0: And I'm Ria Lakhani. Thanks for listening.